It's spring and you want to hike, bike, hit up the farmer's market, but the last thing you want to do on a warm, sunny morning is clean house. That's where Greenland Pro Cleaning comes in. They're eco-friendly, allergy-friendly, and locally owned in Asheville. Listeners of The Overlook get a free upholstery and refrigerator cleaning upgrade with their first booking. Just use the code PODCAST at checkout. Make the most of your time this spring and visit GreenlandProCleaning.com slash overlook. Imagine, you're a classical music composer about to premiere your final symphony. Behind the scenes, your family and a stranger are about to throw everything into disarray. Welcome to A God in the Waters, the latest play by the venerable Asheville writer David Brendan Hopes. Look for a lot of laughs, but also a deeper reflection on the making of art and its impact on the people closest to the genius at work. The Sublime Theater presents A God in the Waters, May 9th through 18th at the BB Theater in downtown Asheville. For tickets and details, go to thesublimetheater.org. Carly Catula is an Asheville singer-songwriter who has gone through two name changes just in the time I've known her. First to her married name, she first made her way in music as Carly Tache, and now to her new artistic persona, Moonbride. With Moonbride and just this new chapter of my life, I feel very free to express my personality in new ways, and I can't take myself too seriously. There has to be an element of humor to everything I do, pretty much. This is The Overlook with Matt Pikin, a podcast about the news, arts, issues, and trends of Asheville, North Carolina. Today, we'll talk with Carly about her new album, Insomni, and preview some songs from it. We'll delve into the motivations and symbolism behind her name change, the eclectic and personal nature of her music, and how she's expressing her music visually. We also talk about her commitment to her faith and about a bad experience she had recently with a music professional that compelled her to double down on her artistic independence. I began my conversation with Carly by asking what name I should call her. So actually, a few people have been like, do I call you Moon now? I haven't changed my name legally or anything. You can still call me Carly, but my artist name is Moonbride. So where did Moonbride stem from? First, it stemmed from just this desire to rebrand and change my name. It was like, I had wanted to for years. I'd been like, I'm tired of Carly Tate. To be totally honest, it's not even my real name anymore. It was my birth name, and I've changed it since uh, I took on my husband's name. I think it was just starting to feel really heavy, and like I didn't relate to that name so much anymore. But most importantly, it was just really hard for people to latch on to. From a marketing perspective, every time I tell someone about my music, I have to spell it out for them and then tell them how to pronounce it. And then their eyes glaze over and they've forgotten already. But I also felt like there would be a new freedom if I changed my name to something else, like a creative freedom, something I could not quite hide behind, but play with more. Yeah. Did Moonbride happen before you started writing music for the new record? 
No, actually what's crazy is the record had been completely produced. We were just in the process of mastering it when I decided to change my name. So this didn't happen until September. It was a very quick decision. Um, So talk about Insomni, this record. Is there an umbrella of a theme over all of it? Yeah, I would say the the pandemic era theme, the theme of a person evolving, paradigm shift, maturing. And then musically, it's all over the map. It is super eclectic. It's a little bit chaotic. But me and the producers, we didn't just want every song to be totally different. Obviously, we wanted it to have a flow to it. So we thought very carefully about the sequence of the songs and We produced them carefully so that they would flow together. When you're writing your songs, and these songs in particular, are you hearing them fully fleshed out in that way? Because you you mentioned the eclectic nature of the songs. Mm -hmm. And it it strikes me that it it can go from just sheer, almost electronic pop to Mm -hmm. a more stylized, like older there's an R&B feel a little bit. There's a soul element to it and horns. You'll have horn arrangements in this. I'm wondering right. if you're hearing all of that as you're writing these songs or are you hearing them very stripped down where the music is just tracking bed for your lyrics? I hear a full production when I'm writing songs, but not what actually came to be. The people who produced it, Michael Minkoff and James Smith, they both live in Georgia, and I really let them have a lot of creative freedom with this because I knew what they could do. I did bring them the stripped-down songs and told them a little bit about my vision, but I let them go at it, and then I was part of the process, of course, but it really was so much like trial and error and like just trying new things and experimenting. Who are these people in Georgia? How did you find them? And talk about your working relationship with them, how that germinated. So I won a contest a few years ago, a songwriting contest, and the winner got a fully produced song and music video. And what the people who hosted it said was, you don't have to use our people, but if you want to, I can introduce you. And I was like, well, give it a shot. So they ended up being these people. And I just took a chance, and that song ended up being Pollyanna. And I enjoyed it so much. We did another single, then we did a co-write together two years ago. And that's how this whole album came to be. I had written all the songs, but we were doing that co-write together in the studio. And they were like, Carly, do you want to record an album or something? What are you going to do with these songs? And I was like, oh, I hadn't thought about it. So it started out as a collaborative effort. So how does that change the paradigm for you of making a solo record? It's your name, it's your face, it's your music. How does collaborating in this way change how you come to your music? Or does it? Does it just open up gates for you? I I wouldn't say it changes. Do you mean like the songwriting process? Yeah, the songwriting process and, and what they end up being. And if your vision, if it becomes a shared vision, almost like a band where you're the lead songwriter, but they, you know, like bandmates will do, they'll put their flavor on it. And if it were different collaborators, it would sound different. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering if there was some sort of letting go in a way of, oh, these are my precious songs. It sounds like now, at least at this point, you sound thrilled with the collaborative element of it. And I'm just wondering if you always were, was that hard to relinquish that kind of vision and control about your music? I'd say at times it was hard, but for the most part, no, because I had worked with them before and I just really trust their intuition. I just think they're both such artists that it worked out. But 
Well, it's interesting because at the beginning stages of this, there were talks about like, well, it's not an option for us to be a band, technically. You guys live far away. They both have multiple children and are very invested in their families and their other things. It was, this is a studio band. Are you okay with whatever you create in this? Me taking this maybe on the road or hiring a different backup band in the future and working with them on this stuff. And they were totally fine with it. So it was very much this like, you do your thing and I'm going to take it and run with it. Was it hard to maintain spiritual momentum behind an album? You know, in this era uh, of Spotify and other online music dis- distribution, it's song-oriented, not so much album-oriented. Some artists have given up putting out albums and are just putting out songs. Did that ever occur to you, or did this always seem like a larger body of work you were doing? I think I had the momentum the whole time, and a lot of what helped with that was the Kickstarter. So this all happened because I raised the money for it. Yeah, I, what, you raised like what twenty five thousand dollars, right? Yeah, that's amazing that Thank you raised you. that kind of money, and you produced a fantastic video for your fundraiser. <laughs> so, uh, not to get off the album too much because I want to get back to talking about specific songs. But when did you start? using video as a tool for expression because you have a really innate talent for it. Talk about your entry into video production. Thank you for saying that. Um, I started doing it when I was like 10 years old, actually. I actually wanted to go to school for directing and like filmmaking, but I just really love it. And my husband is a great creative partner and he helps me with that stuff. So we just love brainstorming and coming up with like new ways to enhance the music with video. Yeah, you have a real visual acumen where I can see that is also a distinct voice for you within the music that you're making. For sure. Is there a visual palette when you're making these songs? Do you see them visually? I would say so. Yeah, I always picture music videos when I'm listening to music or like any type of dance or just visuals. So give me an example or two on this record of how you are now seeing things visually as borne out through the music. Oh, I mean, my song, Keep Calm and Carry On, we're going to be making a video for it. And so the lyrics are, Night calls and the baby's crying, Pratt falls, why do I keep trying? I have this whole curlers thing that I don't know if you've seen the pictures, but I'm going to be putting my hair in curlers and wearing a robe and rocking a baby and, and scrambling eggs and in my kitchen. And that's very unusual imagery for a singer-songwriter to be... Yeah, I see that as unusual for you. It, doesn't, it seems <laughs> incongruent to you. I don't think so. Cause, no? So with Moonbride and just this new chapter of my life, I feel mm. very free to express my personality in new ways and... I just don't, I I was just saying this yesterday, I can't just be, I can't take myself too seriously. There has to be an element of humor to everything I do, pretty much. That's funny because your music doesn't have overt humor in it. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of introspection, and I think a lot that certainly other millennials might be able to relate to in terms of 
getting into your 30s mm-hmm. and what that means to you. How has advancing in life chronologically, how has that played into how you see your career unfolding, what you want out of your music and how it mm-hmm. plays into your life? I would say I just have a more level head about all of it now. It's funny because you and I have talked multiple times throughout the years. It's almost like these little like checkpoints. But you know that I've struggled a lot with the music industry and why am I doing this and how do I keep going and finding the momentum. So I feel like I'm at a place now where I've fully accepted that I can't be expecting other people to do things for me expecting to be like swept off my feet like cinderella syndrome you mean like a record company coming in and throwing uh, a half a million dollar advance to you and yeah like that's not that's probably not going to happen and i I honestly don't want it to happen anymore why is that i've had a lot of really bad experiences with people like that coming to me and and promising me things or just so much disappointment and and i realized i was putting so many eggs in that basket and a lot of artists do that where they're fed this narrative that they have to just do it one way and that eventually someone will finally discover how talented they are and like roll out the red carpet for them and that's not realistic for 99.9% of us so I've, i'm really learning how to take things into my own hands and enjoy it and You know, I'm hustling, but I'm trying to enjoy the hustle. More after this. When you go to an Asheville City soccer club game, you're not just watching soccer. You're welcomed into what players and fans call the South Slope Blues. The South Slope Blues, they're amazing. This is the coach of the women's team, Brooke Bingham. The atmosphere is what makes Asheville City Soccer so great. Longtime player, Laura Greb. We have the most dedicated fans. We have our South Slope Blues. They post up in the corner of the field every game. They've got their drums, they've got their smoke, they've got their loud voices. You can hear them for miles. Elite men and women players from throughout North Carolina team up in Asheville for a two-month season against other aspiring pros from all over the Southeast. Home games this season begin May 18th at Greenwood Field on the UNC Asheville campus. For details, tickets, and your first steps into the South Slope Blues, visit Asheville City Soccer Club at AshevilleCitySC.com. I think in this era, more than ever, it's easier for any musical artist to potentially be heard, whether it's TikTok, other ways of using social media that just didn't exist 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. 30 years ago. But also there was a music industry 20 years ago, 30 years ago that does not exist now. So I think the notion of being swept off your feet and carried into the this uh, wonderful world of having your music being heard by millions, that industry doesn't exist anymore. Right. So how, what did you have to do spiritually, psychologically to reconfigure your path from what you thought might be to what it is and embrace it and mm. run forward with it? Again, 
one too many bad experiences. <laughs> Can you give us an example of the, you don't have to name names yeah. if you don't want to, but give us an example of something specific that happened to you that really might've been disillusioning well, and deflating. Yeah. Right before we decided to make the album, uh, I had this experience. There was an older gentleman who pursued me from a managerial perspective. He's been in the entertainment industry forever, really impressive resume. And we got very close over the phone and he really talked me up and it became almost like a, what I realized later, a grooming situation because after a few months of taking a lot of my time and really trying to get me excited about these possibilities, he admitted something to me that I can't share, but it really changed the dynamic of our relationship. It was very inappropriate. It, it made me realize he'd been lying to me the whole time and that he had other intentions for our relationship. Wow. And this came from somebody with a long list of credentials. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It was really scary because I had to basically say, oh, we've developed this rapport now. He's made it seem like we're super close. And now I have to basically break up with this person. And it was scary because he framed it in this way. Like, I'm your only chance. I'm the gatekeeper to this industry. How are you going to get there without me? So that was one of the bravest things I feel like I've ever done is literally just tell this guy, like, no, I can do this myself. And that was really like a turning point in my life. How long ago did that happen? That was the summer of 2022. I'd already written most of the songs. Yeah. And the month that happened was the month I started talking to Jimmy and Michael about the record. After that happened, do you have to just do a personal reset saying... I just have to pretend this guy never came into my life and I'm, I'm on my own course or did this really, was this disruptive internally? It took me months to process it and I still sometimes think about it. What the heck was that? But no, I don't wish that it didn't happen and I don't not think about, I, I don't try to push it out of my mind because you don't dissociate. I, it, from yeah. It. Because it's honestly was such a great learning experience. I feel like it was a test and I passed. I, I just hate hearing those stories and it's awful. I'm sorry you went through that. Well, thanks. Uh, so getting back to your lyrics and your music, are there any narratives that happened in your life that you're seeing through in your music on this record? So Nothing Good Comes Easily is a really good one. That one's maybe the most personal song on the record to me. So my 2017 record, Reverie, it means daydream. I was in my mid-20s when I wrote it, and it was about following your dreams. It was very wide-eyed. And after many years since then, and I've matured a lot, and things have changed, and, and the pandemic certainly changed things, but I think nothing good comes easily. In it, I say, no more unrequited dreams. And if getting a degree would make me happy, set me free. <laughs> Just is just this call back to that record and this sort of like, I don't know, cry for help in a way. But at the same time, it's hopeful because it's saying, hey, nothing good comes easily. You've been working hard and it, it will pay off one day. Conduits is a song. I put that at the end of the record for a reason because so much of the album is this sort of this frustrated, stuck in your own head. There's a lot of literally the words like in my mind, in my brain, in my head. Go outside and breathe the air It's okay to stop 
and it is a very like um, intensely internal album and so then with conduits it literally starts off it's not right to look inside one's head for too long and it's this arc of like processing and then coming to a place of clarity and peace by accepting a new reality and so conduits is like this nice break from all of this like overthinking and insomnia and coming to this place of yeah beauty and just it, it, being in the moment does insomnia come from your own literal insomnia? Yeah. <laughs> is your insomnia chronic in the way has it always been? Or No, I don't know. It's off and on. I've never had it like diagnosed or anything, but I just, especially in the last few years, have had so many nights where I just wake up in the middle of the night and I just lie awake thinking. So that was definitely a huge inspiration for it. Yeah. Do you songs come out of that while you're awake at four in the morning? Sometimes they yeah. do. Yeah. Sometimes I'll dream about songs and I'll have to wake up and record them because I know I'll never remember them. Anything on the record that... Uh, has come from one of those insomniac special actually sessions. yes so the song um nobody knows i literally wrote that song in a dream i dreamed that was the apocalypse and i was hiding in a closet with my mother <laughs> that song came on over like the loudspeakers and i just woke up and wrote it down it was like verbatim that song I was going to ask you, was religion ever a big thing in your life? Yes, spirituality, faith. Has that shifted for you and is that at all articulated in your music? It is, absolutely. So much of the album has to do with being distracted and not being able to hear the voice of God because of it. Not, or whatever the person listening attributes that to. But for me, it was like clarity comes from a relationship with the Creator. I asked that because I remember you talk, you've told me a little bit about how important that at least was to you. And is it still important? And has that evolved? It's more important now. So I, I grew up in the church and I walked away from it in college, as a lot of people do. And it's interesting because so many people come to Asheville. I've, I have so many friends who have walked away from church and, and haven't come back or from God or whatever you want to say. But I found my faith again in Asheville, like when I moved here. That is interesting because a lot of people become atheists here. Yeah, so, exactly. So how, what, do you know why that happened or do you not question that? No, I do. It was another big turning point in my life. Like I just, I had just left college and I lost everything. I, I was starting fresh. It was like this whole new world and I had no friends and I was just desperate. I was super sad all the time. And my sister had a really strong faith. And so she ministered to me through that time. And I really just started exploring it and realizing, well, I used to call myself a Christian, but I really don't know anything about it what does this mean? And so I really started trying to dig in and learn more. And it was difficult because I didn't want to go out and tell people. I don't want to label myself. And there's so much heaviness. And like a lot of people are very triggered by any sort of language like that. So I don't know. I don't want to scare people away. And I don't want to make them uncomfortable. But I also want to be understood. So I don't like to use words that are too like 
interpretable, if that makes sense. Yeah. And your music isn't at all dripping with that. No. But it is in your music. There is a sort of uh, aligning of spirituality in your music. Do you think so? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's how I live my life. So that's what I was getting at is I don't like, I don't go around talking about it and flaunting it. I'm not an evangelist, but I like, it's the thing that it's my center. It's everything to me. And I hope that my life just reflects that. Hmm. And that kind of ties into the name Moon Bride. My mission in life has always been to, not always, but in recent years, been be the light in the darkness. And the moon does not produce light on its own. It reflects the light of the sun. So I get my power and my light and my love from elsewhere. And I just want to be a conduit. That's a great way to put it. You are not having a formal record release show. Are you putting together a band to tour this record? Not yet. Um, I'm still in the research and development phase of Moonbride, but I have some really strong visions for things that I want to do with her, with me. I don't necessarily just want a band and to go tour. I want maybe to be in black box theaters and make a whole, I want costumes and lighting. I want to make videos. I maybe even want to make comic books for this character. I see Moonbright as a character. Yeah, you're, you're wearing a shirt. I haven't gotten a full view of it, but it is a comic strip panel of Insomni. Is that just one of what you see as many or a series of these? I have never seen it that way. That's really cool that you see it that way. It's an astronaut taking a selfie in space while holding a cup of coffee. And instead of NASA, it says Moonbride on. (laughs) I picture a lot of cartoonishness, a lot of theatrics, and there's just so much I want to do with it that I'm just not ready right now to build a band. It's a big investment. I want to pay people well for their work. And when you're a solo artist, you, you don't just get free band members. If you value the Overlook's place in Asheville's media landscape, please consider joining dozens of others who are supporting the show through my Patreon crowdfunding page. Become a member for as little as $5 a month. Visit patreon.com slash the Overlook podcast. Our first look newsletter gives you just a handful of daily headlines from around the local media landscape to get you on your morning. We also have a weekly newsletter devoted to all things The Overlook that hits you every Friday. Both are free and available at podavl.com newsletter. I want to thank my guest today and my friend, singer-songwriter Carly Catula, a.k.a. Moonbride. Our conversation took place at the BB Theater in downtown Asheville, which is available to me due to the largesse of Susan and Giles Collard of Asheville Contemporary Dance Theater. The theme song for The Overlook, Maker's Song, comes to us courtesy of the Asheville duo The Resonant Rogues. The Overlook is a production of Podcast Asheville. New episodes come out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on any social media channel at AVL Overlook. And I'll see you on the next episode of The Overlook with Matt Pikin.
Hey everyone, Matt Pikin here from The Overlook, and I'll get back to my conversation in just a moment. But I'm asking you, the listener, yes, you, listening this very moment, is The Overlook making a difference in your connection to Asheville? Do you know more about what makes this city tick and where we're struggling? If you had to give up one cup of coffee every month to do your part to keep this show going, would you step up? If you answered yes to any of that, and I really hope you did, Please join dozens of other listeners by supporting The Overlook with Matt Pikin through my Patreon campaign by giving just $5 a month. Give it higher levels and you'll earn free tickets to my live podcasting events. Your support means the world to me and helps keep this show free for anyone to hear. Go to patreon.com slash The Overlook Podcast. <laughs> 